Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. I want to finish up our little section here. It began actually in verse 19 several weeks back. And uh, now we want to kind of finish up this section before we move into beginning in verse 26, the warning section. We've got another warning passage uh, to work through. You will recall, just to lay some, uh, just a brief context for you here, you will recall that the author of Hebrews is keenly aware that there are many who are in the congregation currently that have professed Christ, but they are not all in. And he wants them to know that it's decision time. They can no longer straddle the fence between making a profession of Christ or being all in. Surrendering all, living your life for Christ. Verses 19 through 25 are meant to be an encouragement after that long theological doctrinal section that began in chapter 1, verse 1, went all the way through chapter 10, verse 18. He now is saying, based on all of that, based on all of that heavy, heavy lifting about who Christ is, and why his priesthood is superior, and why Christ is better, why he gave a better sacrifice. Based on all of that, from verse 19 on, it is, here's what you do with that. And then he sneaks in a couple more warnings in there, if you choose not to do those things. So we reviewed verses 19 through 23 last week, so I don't want to rehash that again. But So let's pick it up in verse 24. Incidentally, verse 25 is not a separate item from verse 24. Verse 25 is a participle of verse 24. In other words, it's, it's continuation. It's almost like it's one long sentence. Verse 25 is explaining verse 24, if you will. That's how it works. So let's pick it up in verse 24 from your notes last week. He said, let us Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Remember the point one last week is the true believers are united together. We are united together. Now who is the us that the author of Hebrews is referring to? Again, this is review. Our context tells us that from these verses in 1923 that the us that he's saying, let us, is those that who have been invited to Christ and those who have professed Christ saying, let us consider, if you will. Again, he wants to demonstrate, this is what it looks like when you apply all of those truths from those first 10 chapters. Here's what it looks like. The next word we see is consider. That word, remember, means to think carefully. Think carefully about that. Let us think carefully or focus intensely. But on whom are we to think carefully about or focus intensely, verse intensely in this verse and then the text tells us let us think carefully about one another let us think carefully let us focus intensely on one another what this verse is telling us is that there's this inseparable link between those who draw near to Christ remember verses 19 to 23 those who draw near to Christ and others who have drawn near to Christ. Did you know that? We are linked together inseparably forever. 
In other words, those who have truly drawn near to Christ will have this desire and be drawn to others who are in the body of Christ as well. It's inevitable that as you come to Christ, you will begin to seek others who also have come to Christ. Once we are saved, we have a responsibility for one another. Not only should we have this desire in our own hearts, but we should have a sense of responsibility towards one another. We should care for one another. We should encourage one another. We should subject, as you saw this morning in Sunday school, subject ourselves to one another or serve one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to love one another. We're to motivate one another. We're to exhort one another. As Christians, we have a a corporate responsibility. We must help others who stumble and fall. We are to concentrate just not on the needs of ourselves, but on the needs of others, specifically others who have been drawn to Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that we have been placed into the body of Christ together. For how long? Forever. At the moment of salvation, you are placed into the body of Christ. You are Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and you are together with those who are the same. We've been placed into the same body. We've been given the same spirit. We are redeemed by the same blood. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this inseparable link together. If you love Jesus, then you will have love for others who love Jesus. That's what it means. So point number one, true believers are united together. But what are we to be doing As we are united together in this one another time, we are to be provoking one another. Easy enough done, right? Point number two, true believers provoke one another. That word provoke is a Greek word that can be used either negatively or positively. Now, there's a couple examples where we see it negatively. Acts 15.39. Remember when Paul and Barnabas had the fallout about John Mark. Acts 15.39 explains there was this provocation. There was this strife. There was this stirring up, if you will, of feelings. Acts 17.13 is another example where it is used negatively. Same word. But here in our passage, it is used positively. The idea here is that We know each other so well that we can stir each other up. We can provoke one another. We can kindle the fire in one another. That we know how to speak to one another in a way that demonstrates compassion and encourages one another to be all in. What are we to provoke one another to? Our last point from last week, point three, true believers provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now that word love is our word agape. And agape love, as you know, is the love of the will. It's the sacrificial love. It means I choose to love you. It's the love that's described in the marriage bond. Not I have to love you, but I choose to love you. I choose to love you even when you're being unlovable. It's a love that is self-sacrificing. It usually comes at a great cost to the one who is giving agape love. 
That's how we are called. We are called to love one another and provoke and encourage and motivate each other to love sacrificially and to do good deeds. And remember, these good deeds that we do are not the root of it. The root of these good deeds is our love for one another and our love for Jesus Christ and his love for us. The fruit are the good deeds that happen naturally through that. Because I love you, I want to serve you. Because we love one another, I want to encourage you. I want to motivate you in Christ. I want to exhort you. When you've stumbled and fallen, I want to come alongside you and carry your burdens with you. That's what he's talking about here. We are called to love one another. We're not saved by these good deeds, but rather because we are saved, this is the fruit we bear naturally. So first, we are united together in the body of Christ inseparably forever. Secondly, we're called to provoke one another in the positive sense of the word, to stir up, to encourage, to motivate. And lastly, we are to provoke one another to love, agape love, and good deeds, which is the fruit of our love for one another. That sets the background then for verse 25. So let's look at that together. Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Point number one, genuine believers do not forsake the church. Genuine believers do not forsake the church. Now this verse is a very familiar verse for us, isn't it? First uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It's really the only verse in the New Testament that speaks specifically about gathering together in the body of Christ and telling us that we are to do that. Again, first, we are united together in the body of Christ. We're to provoke one another to love and good deeds. But verse 25 tells us that what we are to do, that where we are to do that is where we genuine believers gather together. And where is it that genuine believers gather together each week in corporate worship? The church. The church. That's a very common sense statement, isn't it? I mean, it's very difficult for you to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, motivate one another, nurture one another, carry one another's burdens if you're not here, if you're not together. But why does the author of Hebrews even have to say that? And the reason is that clearly they were having some professing believers who used to attend regularly, but now are waning in their attendance. Why is that? Well, some had stopped coming to church because of the persecution that we've been talking about. Some had opted instead to walk away from their profession of faith and just simply return to Judaism. But others, much like today, simply chose to forsake the church for a variety of different reasons. That word forsake is a very strong word. You know what it means? It means to abandon. It means to abandon. He's saying, do not abandon the assembling together when we gather together for worship. And it's a continuation, it's a clarification of verse 24. Stir up, provoke one another to love and good deeds, and don't abandon each other as you gather together, because that's an important aspect of it. 
Let me give you a few of the common reasons people wane from church attendance. Some claim all they need is a personal relationship with Christ. I think I've probably heard this the one that, this is the one I've probably heard the most. I don't need to go to church to be saved. Well, that's true. Church does not save you. That's correct. But can you show me in the New Testament a true believer who doesn't go to church? Who doesn't gather together? Ken Hughes says it's true that a person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He doesn't have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he's going to have a very poor relationship. Some hold home church or TV church or read and listen to tapes. But can I tell you when we do that, when we choose to do that, and and hear me out. There are times when God providentially is going to keep you at home. You're going to have surgery. You're going to be battling an illness. You're going to be recovering from something. Maybe your kids are sick and somebody needs to stay home. And we've all been there. That's a part of life. What he's talking about here is the habit. This perpetual falling away from the body of believers. That you are linked inseparably together forever with. Some hold this home church or TV church. Believe me, there, there are no lone ranger Christians. There is no solo flight Christianity. You are saved individually, but you are then immediately bound together, inseparably linked together with other believers. You live out your faith in a community with other believers. God doesn't say, okay, now that you're saved, go find a cave somewhere because you've got this gospel treasure and hoard it all for yourself and make sure you don't interact with anybody else. Oh, and by the way, I've given you these spiritual gifts, not for you, but for others. But isolate yourself. Please don't share them. Just the opposite. We're to live on our faith in a community with other believers. Some can't find a church they like. Sometimes that's because there's perhaps not a good church in their area that's preaching the gospel, that's, that's expositing the scriptures. Sometimes it's because we have a consumer mentality. We look at church as if it's all about us. We think of church like shopping as like shopping at Walmart. Oh, I like the music, but the pastor's too long-winded. I, I like this over here, but the building, it's too cold. It's too hot. It's, it's too friendly. It's not friendly enough. It's, the parking lot's too big. It's too small. I can't get around. I mean, you, if you're looking for a reason not to come to church, it's not hard to do. Some have been hurt in the past. Oh, I, I get this one. I understand it. I really do. Sometimes those wounds are deep, and they, they require sometimes a time of healing. But it shouldn't be the habit where you never come back to church again. Church is a family, beloved. Church is a family. I can't abandon my family, nor would I ever abandon my family every time they hurt me. Or every time my kids have hurt me in some way. Or every time one of my sisters have said something to me that hurt me, or if my parents have said something that hurt me, I don't just abandon my family because I've been hurt. No, I get back in there and I solve the issue and I work hard towards the body of Christ. Some are upset because they're not church leaders. Can I tell you this about church leaders? The church doesn't choose church leaders. The church recognizes church leaders. If you want to be a deacon, if you have a desire in your heart to be a deacon or a deaconess, serve. Serve all the time. 
Serve without looking for attention. Serve because you want to glorify God. And the church will recognize that God has given you this gift. And you will be a deacon or a deaconess. Each one of the church offices are like that. God is the one who chooses them, and then you choose to use those gifts. Some are drifted away from God and his people. Some are pressured by unbelieving family members to do something else on Sundays. Some wander from church to church without ever committing and becoming actively involved in a body. Some join and never attend. Some attend and never join. Some out of fear of people asking, where have you been? Some out of laziness. Incidentally, can I tell you that in my experience, the time you don't want to go to church is probably the time you need it the most. Laziness leads to lethargy, which is just sluggishness. Sluggishness leads to complacency. Complacency leads to compromise. What do I mean by that? During World War II, the enemy conducted experiments to find the most effective type of punishment for eliciting information from prisoners, and they found that solitary confinement was the most effective. After a few days of solitary confinement, most men would tell all. Some would rather feed their flesh rather than the spirit. Some stay home to watch TV or movies and think, tired, this is what I need, but yet your spirit, if you're a believer, is craving fellowship. Did you know that? Your spirit is craving the fellowship of other believers. We all know that whatever we feed is what grows. And if we constantly feed the flesh, then the flesh grows. But if we constantly feed the spirit, then the spirit grows. Is it any wonder that we can feel spiritually anemic if we are constantly feeding the flesh and not the spirit? Some say because they they are not attending church because no one at church is like me. Some think there's no one as smart as me or not as wealthy as me or as gifted as me or as spiritual as me. Some are very prideful. Some believe that they are intellectually beyond the standard of preaching there, or they don't need to be under the word. Others are accomplished musicians, and their focus is on on musical perfection and not on worship. Sometimes they say they're too busy, or I'll start attending when the kids get into school. Let me tell you, if you give God time in your heart, he will give you grace for each day. How often do you have to go to church? If you're asking that question, there's a problem. Turn to 1 John, if you would, please. First John, chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son in the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us 
and his love is perfected or completed in us. If you're asking, why do I have to go to church? Or how many times do I need to go in there for it to be okay? Then I want you to understand, beloved, that there's a heart issue going on. Because your spirit, as a believer, should crave to be around other believers. Your spirit should be desiring to worship God with others who are desiring to worship God. My friends, Jesus has not given up the church. He's not given up his church, his bride. The gates of hell should not prevail against it. The church is an intentional community of disciples living out life together. Corporate worship is not an option for a Christian. It is a necessity for us. We are not independent, but interdependent or mutually dependent upon one another. We are not to be living a life of isolated individualism individualism. Someone asked, if you don't go to God's house, why should he come to yours? Or if you don't like being around Christians down here, what makes you think you're going to like heaven, which is full of them? My friends, there are no unchurched Christians in the New Testament. That word unchurched is oxymoronic. You know what an oxymoron is? Like jumbo shrimp, liquid gas, steel wool, political insight, all of those things. They, they don't go together. An unchurched Christian should be as fictitious a character as a unicorn, a zombie, a tooth fairy, a troll, a mermaid, or a Martian. We need each other together. We need to be in fellowship with each other as mutually as we strengthen each other and we encourage one another. The devil feeds that discouragement and, and he'll seek through discouragement to keep you away from the fellowship. It'll be something that you're offended about or something that's stuck in your crawl or something you just didn't like. Or... And that discouragement leads to doubt, that doubt. That doubt leads to disillusionment and that disillusionment leads to despair. And I've seen people completely fall away over something very small. And that's where it all got started. Satan got them to dwell on the discouragement and then pull out of the fellowship. All right, then, so quickly, then, what are we to do as we gather together? Point number two, genuine believers encourage one another in the church. Notice the command to encourage one another is given in contrast to the command not to forsake each other assembling together. They are to be understood as opposite. That means the place in which you encourage one another is where you assemble together. When does that take place? At least once a week in the beginning of the week as you gather together in corporate worship. He says, encourage one another. That word encourage is that same word that you learned in John chapter 14, parakaleo, which is the root word of the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside, to encourage, to carry them along. That's what the idea is here. You cannot be encouraged, nor can you be an encourager when you're not here. You are part of the body of Christ. Many members... Lots of parts that all have been given gifts that function differently, but all are important. You have a place in ministry in the church. The Lord has you here and has given you gifts and talents, not for you, but for each other. As members of the body of Christ, we could be compared to a jigsaw puzzle. Each piece of the jigsaw puzzle has parts that protrude out and parts that are indented. 
those protrusions represent our strengths. Those are the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given you. And the indentations represent our weaknesses, our faults, our limitations, our shortcomings. The beautiful thing is that the pieces, when you put them all together, fit perfectly. They complement one another. And they produce this beautiful picture. And then all of a sudden, all those strengths are mixed in with the weaknesses. And the weaknesses are met together with strengths. And it creates this beautiful mosaic, this beautiful picture. And just as each piece of the puzzle is important, so is each member of the body of Christ. Have you ever had a jigsaw puzzle and be missing one piece? Not only has that frustrated the stew out of you, but secondly, the picture is incomplete, isn't it? What could be a beautiful picture, all you can seem to focus on is the one missing piece. The same is true in the body of Christ. The whole church is weakened when we are absent from the body of Christ. There was a pastor who went to visit a person, and he had been there after been there for a while. It was a very chilly night, and there was a fire and a big chair. And they sat in silence together, just staring at the fire. And after some time, the pastor took some fire tongs, and he carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it on the side of the fireplace, and then went sat back down in his chair. The host watched all this in quiet fascination, and then the coal started to just cool down and then eventually lost all of its fire. Not a word had been spoken between these two. But as the pastor rose to leave, the host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for your fiery sermon. I shall be there next Sunday. You see, the body of Christ are like coals in a fire, and when we stir them up, The flames burn hot for the Lord. But when you take them out and you remove them from the other coals, it doesn't take very long before that coal is out. Point number three, then. Genuine believers encourage one another even more as they see the day of the Lord drawing near. There is to be an increase in our encouragement as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. What is that referring to? Well, we're not told in our text here. The most obvious conclusion is that he's speaking about Christ's return. We don't know when that is. Jesus himself said that no one but the Father knows when that will be. But we do know one thing. It is closer today than it was even back then. And as the day draws closer, we are to be more and more involved in the ministry of encouragement. Why is that? What is the connection between encouragement and the return of Christ? Why is it necessary to encourage all the more as you see the day drawing near? You see, as the last days of the Bible unfold, the Bible says that the world will be filled with those who only want to have their ears tickled. They won't want to hear the truth. There will be those who engage in all kinds of immorality, who seek to draw as many away from the faith as they possibly can, by attempting them through immorality. The internet, the movies, the social media, the corporate media, national media, radio, television, all bombard you with a sense of isolationism and defeat of your Christian faith. And the Bible tells us that will continue to increase, not decrease, as the day of the Lord approaches, which is why we need encouragement. 
You know, the mighty redwoods, have, they stand for hundreds of years. They're, they're giant, beautiful trees, massive. You can drive through them. How have they been able to sustain all of the earthquakes, floods, high winds? Well, the redwoods, their, their vines, their roots underneath, not only run deep, but they intertwine with each other. And because the roots are intertwined together, they are virtually impossible to knock over. They're so strong together. That's what gives them their great strength. And it's what gives us our great strength in the church as well, beloved. When our roots run deep in the Word of God, and when we're entwined together with other believers, we can stand strong for the Lord. That's what genuine believers do. Genuine believers do not forsake the church. Genuine believers, believers encourage one another. Genuine believers encourage one another even more as they see the day of the Lord drawing near. My friends, maybe you're here today and you've struggled for one reason or another. And again, I'm not talking about those times where you have to work or you've been sick or you're on vacation or the kids are something. I understand there are providential times when those occur. I'm talking about if you're here today and you've struggled to be a regular weekly attender in church for reasons other than God's providential hand. Maybe some of the reasons that I talked about earlier for waning church attendance were some of the reasons that you have. I want to encourage you today to think through that carefully. And if that has been your heart, if you've allowed other things to creep in, and given them equal importance to your time together in the body of Christ, I want you to rethink that. And if that's truly how you've been, I would encourage you to repent of that and ask the Lord to encourage your heart to be a regular attender under the word in the body of Christ and intertwine your roots with others. If you don't have a desire to be in God's word and you don't have a desire to be around God's people, the Bible tells us there's a disconnect in there somewhere. There's something ajar in your walk. And if you can easily justify not attending each week, and you have no desire to serve, no desire to encourage and strengthen one another, the Bible tells us there's a disconnect there as well. Certainly there will be times, again, where God providentially keeps you away, but even during those times, there should be a longing to be reunited. There should be a desire in your heart to be back as soon as possible with those who love God like you. My friends, it's easy to skip over this verse and think that it's not important to God whether your heart is seeking to worship him together with other believers. But do not be so easily misled, my friends. As we will see next week, God takes very seriously where your heart lies in regards to worship, both individually and corporately. In fact, the morning passage that will begin next week in verse 26 is a description of what happens when you do forsake the assembly together. We don't always read it that way, but that is how it is linked. Genuine believers do not forsake the church. Genuine believers encourage one another. Genuine believers encourage one another even more as the day of the Lord approaches. I pray, beloved, that's your heart today. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for all that you've gathered together here today. Lord, strengthen our hearts. We are pulled in so many different directions. It's so easy for us, Lord, to to drift away and begin slowly, and then before you know it, we are out of the habit of gathering together, even just once a week. We don't make it a priority in our lives. We allow other things to, to creep in there and replace you in this time of worship. We justify it in things in ways, Lord, that are not found in your word. But Lord, convict us if that's the case. And encourage our hearts to gather together all the more as the day approaches. And Lord, we all can see that the day is approaching. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of believers that glorify you, that seek to be in your word, have a desire in our heart to do that, and have a great love for one another and a desire to gather together in worship and in fellowship. Father, that's our heart's prayer at Portage Bible Church. Hear our prayer, Lord. See our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.